Our message tonight, out of God's Word, is out of the book of Daniel. Daniel, Lachayim to life. We're going to do a series on, on the book of Daniel. Uh, and we'll start with chapter 1, right? That makes sense. And uh, Daniel is a powerful book, uh, as God used Daniel in a mighty way. There's several of the chapters that are stories. And the one we'll be looking at today is kind of a story, a story that happened to Daniel, a real story, a history of what happened to Daniel and, uh, and some of his companions. Uh, but all of this, and then there's other chapters that are clearly prophetic with dreams and visions and beasts and metals and all different kinds of things uh, describing from Daniel's day all the way to last day events. But the story chapters are also prophetic. They are stories, they are real stories, they really happen to Daniel. And, uh, but they have end time significance as well. So they are, again, real life stories, but they are both stories that we can learn lessons from, but also prophetic lessons from as well. And we'll see that a little bit tonight. Uh, today, Daniel uh, lived and prophesied during the time that uh, Babylon came and, and attacked Jerusalem and then eventually destroyed Jerusalem and took most people captive, including Daniel. And three different times they were captives taken and uh, it, it was uh, lived at the same time and, uh, as Jeremiah and Ezekiel and probably Obadiah as well. And so we'll pick up the story of Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim of Judah into his hand. So this is one of the attacks on Jerusalem, not the last one, but one of the attacks on Jerusalem by Babylon. And the king Jehoiakim gets taken, as well as, as when we believe Daniel and many others, possibly Ezekiel, were taken captive as well. And then again, later on, Babylon comes again and, again, and eventually destroys Jerusalem. The king told the master of his eunuchs to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace. So Nebuchadnezzar is a wise king as he conquered nations. He didn't just go and wipe out everyone. He took some of the ones that he felt were prime, and he brought them into his kingdom and even had some serve within his court. And, uh, and so he's choosing some of the nobility and some of the wisest ones, which is a good thing. And we're going to see Daniel becomes one of those ones who is chosen. So that's a pretty good thing. Um, I guess it could have been a lot worse, right? He could have been killed. He could have been thrown into harsh, harsh servitude. Um, but still, as we notice here, it says, the king told the master of his eunuchs, which means that going along with becoming part of the king's court, meant that Daniel and his friends uh, became eunuchs. And that could be why you never see a picture of Daniel with a beard. Uh, possibly, I, I don't know exactly uh, but on that, but, uh, but it wasn't such a great thing. And all of, you know, I mean, Daniel's whole experience here, he's taken captive uh, with many other people. His parents aren't mentioned. And so very possibly they were killed. He might've even seen that with many of his other relatives and no siblings are mentioned. So uh, he could have experienced a lot, a lot of heartache. And he's in a different land, different language, under a totally different 
circumstances and situation and thrust into this, again, maybe better than some in that he has the ability to serve with the king, uh, but uh, still not a great, great situation. Verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So again, okay, so he's offering them food, the best food in the kingdom, the same type of food that the king gets to eat, the same wine that the king gets to drink. This is a, quite a privilege that he's giving to captives. And for three years he's going to educate them and train them. As again, some, no doubt many others were, you know, shoveling cow manure or digging trenches or, again, killed. So, could have been a lot worse. Among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So this training, this wonderful college three-year degree is really an indoctrination into Babylon ways. Not just the language, not just some history to prepare them for the court, but to transform them and change them into the Babylonian way. Daniel's name means, his birth name means, uh, God is my judge, Daniel, uh, God is my judge. And so now he's getting his name changed that God is no longer your judge, and now the Babylonian gods are over you, and you represent Babylonian gods, and so they get their names changed, they get the character changed, their minds changed, their influence changed, their religion changed, and that, no doubt, would be a very difficult thing as well. Verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. He requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So Daniel purposes in his heart. Daniel decides, Daniel makes this decision that he's not going to defile himself with the king's foods that is being offered to him and the king's wine that's being offered to him. That's where it starts. It starts with Daniel making this decision. That's a very, very dangerous decision. If the king is offering you a gift, especially a gift that he prizes very much, something that he himself protects, he's giving, him, giving you something of himself, and he's elevating you to this position, and you say, no, thank you, there's a good chance that if, you will lose your neck, right? You lose your head starting at the neck, <laughs> you know, uh, at, at, and maybe at best, at worst, could be horrible beatings and killing, beatings and, and harsh, harsh, harsh servitude for insulting the king. There are three diets. What was it that Daniel purposed? What was it about the king's delicacies that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with. Well, the Bible describes three different diets. There's the ideal diet, and there's the acceptable diet, and there's the unacceptable diet. 
Right? So there is an unacceptable diet in the Bible. Some people say, well, moderation in all things. Well, you can't moder have a moderation of rocks, right? You can't eat rocks in moderation and think it's going to be good for you. But amazingly, I mean, there are some animals that eat rocks. You know, there are some birds that eat rocks and it helps them digest. It's amazing, you know? And if we all evolve from the same thing, then how come it doesn't work for us, right? So, I mean, just the fact that we, there's so many different termites eat wood and we can't eat wood, right? So, obviously, there was a difference going on in, in creation. Everything is created differently. So, even moderation, moderation in eating wood won't do you any good, right? So, so there are some things that are unacceptable that are not food for human consumption, even if they are food for maybe something else. So, let's take a look at these things that Daniel knew and did not want to defile himself with. Right, so going back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, and God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food. So in the beginning, God gave us uh, fruits and grains for food, and then soon thereafter, after the fall, he adds on uh, vegetables, and, and so we have our basic diet, fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables in the ideal garden. And there, right soon after, uh, kicked out of the garden, God's original diet for mankind. And we look at the ages from Adam all the way to Methuselah. Methuselah is known as the longest living man, 969 years. That's a long time. But it's only 39 years more than Adam. Right, so there wasn't a decline going on. There was even a little bump up after Daniel, about eight generations after Daniel. Uh, but even that, 39 years out of 930 and 969, 39 is not a whole lot. So it's pretty steady going through there. It's a bunch of 800 plus, one that's over, just over 700. Uh, but all those that are mentioned there and that's eight generations are seven or eight, 900 years in their length and their height there indicating their ages. Then we go to Noah, Noah right after Methuselah. Noah's, Methuselah is one of Methuselah's child and he lives 950 years. So he lives 20 years longer than Adam lived, only 16 years less than his father. And then right after Noah, right after the flood, there is a very quick, and you see the heights representing their ages, a very, very quick drop for the next eight generations and so eight generations before Noah, it's all eight, nine hundred years, eight generations after Noah, down to 140 years. That's a pretty quick drop, right? You don't want your stocks to drop or your mutual funds to drop that fast, right? <laughs> drop like that, you don't want them to drop at all. But to drop like that in that quick a time is not a good sign, right? And so there's this dramatic drop that takes place. And what could be the reason? Now the earth, the flood, it's possible that the earth tilted at that time, might not have tilted before, and changing climate as a result, and changing atmosphere, all that could definitely be factors in it. The Bible doesn't mention any of those things, but one thing the Bible does specifically mention was that up until Noah, the, the diet had stayed the same. There was no change mentioned since after the fall of the fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetable diet. But then during the flood, God permitted, right after the flood, God permitted the eating of clean animals. The Bible says that God took, had Noah take two of every unclean animal onto the ark, 
but seven of every pair of clean animals. A lot of people don't know that. They think it's all just two by two, but you look closely in the Bible, it's, it's, um, it's actually uh, uh, Genesis chapter seven, verse two. That's very easy to remember, seven and two, right? So Genesis seven, verse two, seven of the clean animals, two of the unclean animals. And so that's when God allowed the eating of clean animals. And we see a dramatic drop very quickly thereafter. So now we have, so we had the ideal diet, and now we have an acceptable diet of the clean animals that God added to, to the diet. And we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse six through eight. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that choose the cud among the animals. So it gives us for the clean animals, the, the mammals, the ones that are clean and permissible and acceptable to eat, they have to meet these two criteria, that they have cloven hooves and that they chew the cud. Right? And I think that's a pretty amazing thing. Two simple criteria to designate the animals that God allowed to eat, and he gives that to Moses. Now, I'm sure that Moses had never seen a polar bear, had never seen a, you know, a penguin, or has never seen a, a bison, you know, or, or lots of different animals he had never seen in the area where he had lived in Egypt. And, and, uh, and yet God gives these two criteria to describe the animals that would be on the entire, mammals that would be on the entire face of the earth. That's pretty amazing. Two simple things to describe which ones would be acceptable to eat and which ones would not. And which ones are not, it says, nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, right? So if it only has one or the other, if it chews the cud, but doesn't have a cloven hoof, no good. If it has a cloven hood, but doesn't chew the cud, no good, right? And if it doesn't have either, like a dog or a cat, no good, right? So no more eating dogs or cats, right? No good than eating dogs and cats. And camels as well. It mentions specifically camels, right? So if you have any camels in your freezer, you should get rid of them. Camels are unclean. They do not meet the, the clean, unclean criteria. Same with rats and bats and all other kinds of creepy and crawly, horrible things, right? Disgusting things. So that's the criteria for the mammals. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh nor touch their dead carcasses. All right, so the, so the pig, the swine, also would fall into that unclean category. And while camels might not be so popular to eat, uh, and dogs and cats, although in some places they are pretty popular to eat. Um, it falls under this criteria because it only meets one of the criteria. Now, it might be real popular because it's pretty easy to raise, good, simple size, but God says it's unclean. No good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. And if the pig was a good thing for us to eat, then he wouldn't withhold it from us. Right? God doesn't withhold any good thing. That's what the Bible says. And that would go for Moses and Adam and all of us. No good thing would he withhold from them that walk uprightly. 
Some people think that Yeshua came to cleanse the pig. He didn't come to cleanse the pig. He came to cleanse us. The pig is still the pig, right? And we are still who we are. Our bodies haven't changed in relation to the pig. Pigs are still filthy animals. Not only do they live filthy, but what they eat. Even if you raise them in a clean environment, they still will eat just about anything, and inside they are still unclean. It's just how they are. You can put a bow on them and all kinds of things, but they're still an unclean, not necessarily unclean muddy, but unclean for Bible terminology of unclean to eat. I've heard of a man who uh, transported cattle, and he blowed them up, big cattle car, and, and he always kept a pig on the cattle car with the cattle. So that when he got to his destination, it was a lot easier to clean out the cattle car, if you get the drift of that. I have a, a close friend, she, her family was missionaries in uh, Brazil, and they were traveling long distance one time, and, and, uh, and they saw a little restaurant on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, and they pulled over to get something to eat, and they went inside, and the menu, everything on the menu was, was had pork, swine, pig, Bacon, all kinds of it, in all, every single thing. So there was nothing for them to eat, so they didn't eat there. But the kids had to go to the bathroom. So they asked for the bathroom, and they were pointed to the outhouse outside. Now, the outhouse outside was right on the edge of a cliff. And so that way, the waste just went down the cliff, right? And so she's holding the kid. She didn't want to put the kid on the seat. So she's holding the kid over the seat, and she hears a noise. And she moves the kid, and she looks down the hole, and down at the bottom of the cliff, is a bunch of pigs waiting for their treat. Now, what do you think the chances are that those pigs were among the pigs that were being raised and fattened up for the restaurant? <laughs> we are what we eat, isn't that right? So that's where the pigs will eat just about anything. Dr. McNaught found that one of every four pork specimens had living trachina larvae in it little worms that get inside and continue to live in the human bodies after that's 25 percent that means if you if someone eats pork four times a week there's a very good chance that that week they had a uh, trichina larvae enter into their body very hard to detect uh, some people believe that could be causes of things like possibly like arthritis and other type of things that don't go diagnosed and unless you have an autopsy, they're not necessarily gonna find it in you. So 25% living larvae in the pork. Takes a lot of heat, a lot of heat to kill that too. Pork is the highest cholesterol source of all meats. They advertise it as the other white meat. Well, it's not the other white meat. <laughs> It's the highest meat in cholesterol. Pork has the highest content of fat of all meats as well. So highest in fat, highest in cholesterol, highest in trichina larvae. No good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. And we are what we eat, right? And so... Doesn't look very appetizing to me. Uh, you see the dead carcasses like in the last slide, you know, that doesn't look so appetizing. It looks like, oh boy, I'd love to go grab and bite onto that, you know? 
I mean, you see a strawberry or something like that, or cut open watermelon, go, oh, wow, you thought, oh, that looks delicious, right? You see a dead carcass hanging there in the window? I don't know, it doesn't appeal to me anyway. <laughs> so fat, cholesterol, worms, if that's what you love, and that's what you get. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 15 through 17, it talks about last day events. It starts with saying, for behold, the Lord will come with fire, and the slain of the Lord shall be many, right? So the Lord coming, and he's coming with fire, and we have that as a description in the Bible. That's how he's going to destroy this earth. It comes with fire, coming with all his glory, and the slain of the Lord will be many upon the face of the earth, right? So we, just like it's in other passages, Revelation and other passages, this passage out of Isaiah chapter 66, talking about last day events. And it continues, those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to gardens after an idol in the midst, right? So talking about those who are idol worshiping and eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. So in this passage, in Isaiah chapter 66, talking about last day events, says one of the criteria or one of the judgments that will be upon the people is their disobedience in having idols and eating Swine, pigs, pork, and mice and rats, right? Uh, so it puts them all together in that category of those that will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming, with the fire of his indignation. Some people think that God can cleanse the pig and now made it acceptable. It's not acceptable all the way to the end. Back to Deuteronomy 14, now what about that lives in the sea, a fish? These you may eat of all that are in the waters, you may eat all that have fins and scales. So of the animals that live in the water, again, God gave simple two criteria, fins and scales. And that again covers for all the animals, all throughout all the oceans and all the lakes and all the rivers, which is pretty amazing. I mean, how could Moses know that? If, if it was just Moses writing Deuteronomy, how could he possibly know that? It's obviously had a divine inspiration of God. So about all fresh water as well as salt water, all kinds of animals in whatever kind of water, brackish water, two simple criteria. That's amazing. That's amazing. How does that meet these two simple criteria? And again, I doubt Moses ever saw a blue whale or a killer whale or, or a white, great white shark or maybe not even a bass, right? You know, but he was able to write down, this is the criteria that God inspired him and it applies across the board. And it makes a lot of sense because those that don't have fins aren't able to swim, right? So those who do not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. So those that don't have fins aren't able to swim away from the garbage, away from the, the polluted water. They're just kind of stuck where they are and where they are. That's also where stuff drifts to, right? They're on the bottom, bottom feeders, all the junk, all the poop from all the other fish floats down to the bottom. And that's what they eat. That's what they, they are the cockroaches of the sea, right? So these lobsters and crabs, and that's if you want to eat cockroaches, well, then that's basically what you're eating in the bottom of the sea, right? Or vultures, right? Vulture type of thing. Yeah, so some things God created for a purpose. The pig to eat up all the garbage, the, the vultures to eat up all the garbage. 
the bottom feeders to eat up the garbage and to cleanse the water and purify the water. They have a purpose. But that purpose is not for our consumption. God's created all things for a purpose, but not all of it is for us to eat, just like poison ivy is not made for you to eat, right? So there's some things that God created just aren't for us to eat, or that are here on this earth, rocks, whatever. So, it, it, so if, it doesn't, and if it doesn't have the scales, a lot of fish, they have their waste go through, a lot of, kind of like sweating out through their scales. And if they don't have that, then like the sharks and uh, catfish, they don't have the scales. The Bible says they are unclean for you. Another thing we like the lobsters. You ever notice in the supermarket, the lobsters, they're alive. Isn't that weird? Or in restaurants, the lobsters are alive. What other animals alive when you go into a restaurant? See, I want that one, right? Or in a supermarket. What other animals are in a supermarket that you go and pick one out? Right? Is there a cow there or a calf there? Or, you know, any other animals in supermarkets that you go pick? Why is the lobster alive? Because as soon as they kill it, the poisons very quickly go throughout the body. And if you don't eat it quickly after it's killed, those poisons will come into you. And so they keep it alive as long as possible. So you buy it and then able to quickly kill it and quickly eat it. But even then, it's still filled with poisons and garbage. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Right? So he made a decision, started with a decision. He did not want to defile himself. Another thing in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, it says, It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither fat nor blood. So even in the acceptable diet that God allowed the clean animals, of the clean animals, he says, if you're going to eat the clean animals, you still have to cut out the fat and drain the blood and drain the blood properly to get the blood out of it. Because it's not for us to eat. Blood is not for our consumption. Right? We're not vampires, right? We're not to eat the blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood. And that has spiritual applications of the Messiah, his lifeblood, and he gave his life for us by shedding his blood. But also physically, life travels through the blood system. Our good white blood cells and red blood cells, as well as cancers and other bacteria and viruses travel through the blood system. And so an animal that's on its way to slaughter and in line behind a whole bunch of others and smelling all the dead ones going before it and hearing the fear and the, and the crying out of the ones that have gone before it, that no doubt brings a lot of anxiety and emotions all into the, the animal as they're being poked and prodded and electrocuted to move forward through the line. And all of that is surging through the blood system and into the animal and affects the animal. And then again, we are what we eat. So the Bible says, do not eat the blood and to cut the fat off, right? So in case you don't know, the fat is the white stuff and the blood is the red stuff, right? That's how it works, right? And last I heard that uh, McDonald's doesn't uh, drain the blood or the fat and, and Burger King doesn't drain the uh, blood and fat. So unless you go down to St. Petersburg and go to Joel's Deli uh, to get the kosher meat, I don't know where else in this area uh, you can get kosher meat. But they do sell it there and do have it there. They drain it. Uh, it's drained when it's killed. It's killed in, in, um, in uh, a humane way, a quick way, and a quick way to drain the blood. And 
drain as much out as possible, and then there's other processes that go to get more of the blood out, and there's salt and other kinds of things to get the blood out and cut the fat off it. So that's a perpetual sign, perpetual statue for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither fat nor blood. And again, we are what we eat, we eat the fat. And we eat the blood, it affects us. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. This was important to Daniel. This was so important to Daniel that again, he risked his life over this very issue. He knew what the Bible said. He knew what God inspired Moses to write. He knew the Torah. And he said, no, I'd rather die than defile myself this way. Now, could you imagine if you worked at a place and they said, well, to get to this position in our company, you have to work here for 20 years and you have to take this many tests and, 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 and get this many degrees and, and do all this criteria to meet this and go through all this passing and, and all these checks to get to that level. And you do that, you do that, you do that, you do that. You finally get to that level, you get that paycheck, you get those bonuses, you get the, the, those vacations and all the benefits that come, the office, and all that comes with meeting that criteria and working hard to get to that criteria. And one week after you're there, they hire a new guy and he hasn't worked there 20 years, he's not even hardly 20 years old, and he hasn't taken any of the tests or any of the classes, and they give him a desk right next to you with equal pay and equal position, and they say, well, we changed our mind, we now allow him to, to have that same position. How would you feel that was fair? Would you think that was good, just? Could you imagine Daniel? He goes through this, risking his life to take a stand for the Lord, to not defile himself. And then he gets to heaven and he's sitting with people and says, ah, yeah, but later God forgot about that. God said, no, that doesn't matter anymore. We didn't have to go through that hard stuff. You had it hard, we had it easy. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is just, and he has his purpose because he cares for us. No good thing will he withhold. He loves us. All of this stuff is for our good. It's not for God's good. God could, doesn't matter to God whether, you know, doesn't affect him directly, but he loves us. Right? Just like a loving parent tells a child what to do and what not to do because they love the, they love the kid. It's not for the parent's benefit that the kid brushes his teeth or not. It's for the kid's benefit, for the kid's growth, for the kid. And God loves us, and he wants us to be happy and healthy. I guess some people think, well, hey, if I get sick, then it causes me to pray more, and God wants me to pray more, so he wants me to, so he allows me to have this stuff. No, God wants us to be healthy, happy, to live like Methuselah, and strong, and, and be able to serve him with a clear mind and a clear heart. That fat, that cholesterol, it not only affects our body, it affects our mind. Blood rushes through the brain, and it gets there, and it clogs it up, and we're not able to think clearly. That's how God speaks to us. So God gave these things that Daniel said, no, I'm not going to defile myself. This is what the God said, and it was worth risking his life for. He wasn't going to eat the king's delicacy, nor the wine which he drank. Well, the Bible has some things to say about that as well. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Which one of those words do you want to apply to you? Do you want to be mocked? Do you want to be not wise? Do you want to be deceived? Or do you want to be raging? <laughs> None of them are good. 
And that's what it says, wine and strong drink do to us. Not wise, deceived, become raging, and mocked. And that's exactly what happens. And we see that in society today. Again, written a long, long time ago, and we haven't changed, and the influence over it, us hasn't changed. Alcohol is deceptive, it's addictive, it destroys brain cells, it dramatically affects our ability to reason, and that's how God speaks to us, and that's how we make right choices for God and to follow God. We cannot reason well. That's why when it was offered to Yeshua, he spit it out, he said no. He refused it when it was already dying as a painkiller. He said, no, I don't want my mind to be affected. I want to be able to reason. I want to be able to stay strong and not yield and not compromise. I'm not coming down off of this. I'm drinking the cup that the Lord has put out for me. And he went forward. Our minds need to be clear, especially in these last days. 40% of alcohol users develop serious drinking problems. Now, some people will put that number a little less, 25%, but even if we went down to 10%, 10% having serious drinking problems. That'd be horrible if 10% of us here right now ended up with serious problems in our lives. That would be horrible. Some people think that Yeshua turned water into wine. I had an alcoholic tell me that. Oh, well, Yeshua said it's okay. Well, that would be a horrible excuse. Yeshua did that at a wedding, and he had 12 disciples. Could you imagine from one to five of them ending up with serious alcoholic problems of his disciples? That he encouraged that, knowing this? And if there were 100 people there at the wedding, or 1,000 people there at the wedding, 10 to 40% of them being encouraged in alcoholism and serious problems in their lives, losing their jobs, losing their families as a result? I don't think that's something that the Lord would encourage. To deceive them, to be mocked, to be raged, to not be wise, that's not something the Lord encourages. He turns it into pure, as he says in the blessing. As we say in the blessing, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, fresh fruit off the vines, fresh squeezed grape juice, fresh off the vine, not rotting, fermenting. And the Bible describes that too. Now, out of that 40%, what if your dog bit two out of every five guests that came to your house? You can get arrested pretty bad for that. You can get sued pretty bad for that. That dog would be, should be put to sleep. It bites two out of every five, or even one out of every 10. But alcohol bites at least one to four out of 10 that are tempted with it. Now you may think, well, hey, I'm in that 60%. It doesn't affect me. I have a little bit, but it doesn't affect me. Well, maybe it doesn't. Or not that you don't see, but it all kills brain cells. It all has some effect, but maybe not seriously affects and damages your life. But what influence are we giving to those around us? What influence are we giving to those 40, 10 to 40% that will be dramatically and dangerously affected by it? And we are our brother's keeper. Proverbs 23, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? 
Who has bloodshot eyes? Now, which one of those things do you want? Do you want woe? Do you want sorrow? Do you want strife? Do you want complaints? Do you want needless bruises? Is that what you want? Is that what you want out of life? Are you a masochist? Well, if that's what you want, the Bible says, well, that's what you want. Go to alcohol. That's what it'll give you. Who has those things? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. And that's the end result. Sorrow. Sorrow in our communities. It's sad. It's horrible. Do not look on the wine. Proverbs 23, verse 31. When it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. In other words, when it's fermenting, when it's going from grape juice to alcohol, and most English translations just translate both as wine, whether it's talking about grape juice or whether it's talking about alcoholic wine, it just says wine. Sometimes it's talking about grape juice, sometimes it's talking about alcoholic wine. It says, don't even look on it. Don't even look at it when it's doing that, when it's starting to ferment. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Run from it. You'll have woe, you'll have sorrow, you'll have contempt. You won't be wise. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Now, who wants that? You play with poisonous snakes? Do you want to get bit by a poisonous snake? That's what it says. That's the end result of toying with alcohol. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart shall utter perverse things. You'll say stupid things, you'll do stupid things, see stupid, see wrong things, be tempted and fall because our perception, our mind won't be clear to resist the temptation. It causes accidents and deaths, all kinds of horrible problems. The only one I can think who'd be in favor of this kind of thing is, is maybe those who sell, uh, lawyers who, uh, who make money off of car accidents. This would go not only for alcohol, but all brain altering drugs. Marijuana and all other kinds of brain altering drugs. I mean, if a drug is prescribed by a doctor for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, in a specific portion, for a specific time period, you know, that's one thing. And then they always often tell you don't drive under those influences and that type of thing. But the Bible warns us so that we can be in health and prosper even as our soul prospers. God wants our minds and our hearts and our bodies to be good and clean for him. 1 Corinthians 3.17 If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Now, even though this was written after Paul, or after Daniel, by Paul, no doubt Daniel understood this principle, and that's why the Bible said he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies and the king's wine. So that he would not defile himself. Because anyone, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy. Like we read about those who eat mice and swine in the last day, God will destroy with the brightness of his coming, with the fire of his indignation. And the slain of the Lord will be many. God will destroy those who destroy the temple 
of God. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God created the physical temple for his Shekinah glory to dwell in, to represent the Messiah, the sacrifices that were given there. And the Messiah became a living temple, and then he makes us living temples for his spirit to live in us. And just as that temple was not to be defiled, the physical temple, our physical temple, our bodies should not be defiled with what we put into it, with our thoughts, with our actions, with our choices. We are the temple of God. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants our lives to represent the Messiah. He wants our lives to shine forth his glory. He wants our lives to represent his salvation and his victory over every area of our lives. And this is an area where if we gain victory in this area, everything else comes easy. It's something that we do, what we eat, drink, every day, three times a day. Gain victory in this area, then everything that's once a week or once a month or once in a while, then it becomes easy. Those things become easy. Those are only once in a while. But we are yielding to temptation every single day, several times a day. It'll be so much easier to just to yield to other things. And if we surrender in this area, God will change us. He'll change our taste buds. He'll change how we are. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's where it starts. It starts with purposing, choosing Lord, I don't want to defile myself. I want to follow you. I want to follow your word. I want what you say is good for me. Because I know that'll be good for your kingdom. And so live your life in me. And God will change. God will change our desires. He'll change our taste buds. He'll change our thoughts. He'll change how we are. He gives us the miraculous victory. Right? If you saw someone who was a heroin addict, wouldn't you tell them that God can give you victory over that? That God can change you? It's going to destroy your life? It's going to affect you. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to ruin your job career. God will give you victory. Well, if he'll give people victory over heroin, how much more so of these things? When there's so much more variety for God, God has given to us, a bountiful harvest of things around the world that God has blessed us with to eat and to drink and to enjoy. And God will change us. He'll give us that miraculous change if we surrender our minds and hearts and let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua had that mind. Daniel had that mind. They were able to resist, chose not to defile, and God gave him the ability. That's on the miraculous level. On the physical level, it just happens. As we, as we change our taste buds, they just change, physically change. You think about a, a, a child born in, 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 in China, and it grows up in a Chinese family eating Chinese food, Right? He develops that over his whole lifetime. He grows up. What type of food does he like to eat? It'd be Chinese food, right? Child who's born in Mexico and their Mexican family eating Mexican food his whole life. He grows up to be an adult. What kind of food is he naturally going to like? Mexican food, right? Now, if you took a child, a Chinese child, born in China, but adopted by a Mexican family and raised from day one in Mexico, eating Mexican food with that family, what food is he going to like? Jewish food, of course, right? <laughs> so naturally, our taste buds change, right? So if we give it over to the Lord, the Lord will change our taste buds, and he'll change how we are. He'll transform us. 
I've been drinking alcohol in something like 40 years. God's changed my no desire for it. And drugs, he's transformed my life. I didn't want that stuff. And other things as well. I mean, it's not part of the acceptable or unacceptable or anything the Bible doesn't really mention, but I haven't even had a donut in 35 years, and I don't miss this stuff. It doesn't even tempt me. I smell that stuff. Disgusting taste. It's just smell. It's not taste. Smell to me. I don't even just want it. God changes our taste buds. We just resist something. It's just not there anymore. It goes away. It's how our bodies are made. So what happened to Daniel? Chapter 1, verse 9. God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are in your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So if the chief, uh, the chief over the eunuchs is saying, if the king hears that you don't want to eat his food, my head might be in trouble. How much more will Daniel's head be in trouble? And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's. Right? This was serious stuff. It wasn't just like you know, going to the cafeteria and saying, well, can I have something else? No, this is serious business. And it was serious enough for Daniel to risk his life and to give his life. He drew the line here and said, I'd rather die than to defile myself with eating the things that the Bible tells me not to eat. And again, I believe this is prophetic of last days. As we read in Isaiah 66, this is a message that God is bringing for us for these last days, that he wants to give us victory over as well. Because the temptation, the devil is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and destroy. And our mind and our conscience and our character needs to be strong and clear before the Lord, undefiled before the Lord. Be able to resist the temptations that are going to come over this world, an overwhelming flood, We'll need our full mind, our full facilities, and be gaining victory every day of our lives and throughout our lives. That our gods be not our bellies. We're not ruled by our bellies and our taste buds, but that we're ruled by the scriptures and by God's spirit. So Daniel said to the steward who, of the, who was chief over the eunuchs, said over them, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Right, so a simple test. This way it's not any of those cleaning. He wants the ideal diet, the original diet, the vegetables, and the water to drink. Well, it won't have any blood, even if it was a clean animal, that they didn't drain the blood out of it or didn't cut the fat out of it. This way he doesn't have to worry about any of that. Just vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now you'd think he'd starve to death on that, right? You'd think, oh, he'd become um, emaciated and, and, you know, pass out and, and won't be able to survive. How's he going to survive on just vegetables and water, right? He's going to die. Where's he getting his protein? Where's he getting this? Where's he getting that? Oh, he can't make it. He's going to, it's B12. What's going to happen to Daniel? Well, let's see what happened to Daniel. At the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. The steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So he did it. He tested them for the 10 days. And during the 10 days, they ended up stronger, better, fatter than everyone else. And the chief of the eunuch said, okay, it's working. We'll let you continue doing it. And he did for three years. God gave these four young men knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom 
and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God blessed them. And then we have the rest of the book. You think Daniel would have been able to do the rest of the book? You think he would have been able to say, I'm going to pray, you can throw me into the lion's den? If he would have yielded here. This is the first test. This is the first area that God says, let me give you victory in here and you'll have victory every day because there's going to be lots of other stuff coming your way. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, be thrown into a fiery furnace. You're going to have lots of heavy things coming upon you. Strengthen every day. Strengthen your will against temptation every day. And I gave him victory. And he'll give us victory in these last days as well. At the end of three years, we had vegetables and water for three years. And the king interviewed them and found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all the realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of the king of Cyrus. So he outlives the whole Babylonian kingdom and lives in, and has influence even into the Persian kingdom. And we'll see that in the book of Daniel. Even up to Cyrus... God used him in a miraculous way, in a powerful way, in a wonderful way. And it starts with him purposing in his heart not to defile himself with the things of this world. And that's where it starts with us as well. We're stronger, fatter, healthier, wiser, and all in the king's courtyard. And God will bless us and put us in positions as well. Stand for him as we put him first in the daily things, in the small things, as well as in the large things. Daniel could have easily justified, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Well, here we are in Babylon. We're not in Israel anymore. Our parents are dead. We're grieving. We're suffering. We need some alcohol to deaden our senses over this horrible tragedy we've gone through. We don't really have a choice here. He's forcing us. He's going to kill us if we don't eat it. And God doesn't want me to die. Right? Well, God honors life so much that he wants me to disobey his commandment because life is more important than, than what I eat. And so I better eat what and no, not die. No, that's not what Daniel said. He said, no, this is what the Bible says. And if he die, I die, I die. It's not my issue. That's up to God. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to follow God. He could have just everybody else, all the other people, all the other captives, all everyone else here in Babylon. I got to do it. This is what they do. He could have had so many logical justifications. Just a young guy here, just new on the block, and got to do what they're telling me to do. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my life. I got to provide for my family. God said, no. Daniel said, no. I'm going to put God first and let God take care of everything else. Let God take care of my life. Let God take care of my family. Let God take care of my future. Let God take care of all that other stuff. And as we do the same, it's so easy for us to justify. Well, in my society, at my job, here, there, this, that, everybody around me. God doesn't want me to lose my job. He doesn't want me to lose my life. Put God first. And God will take care of everything else. Follow the Lord. Trust in him.
because no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And to those who don't, they get sorrow, woe, not wise, mocked, derided, kicked around by the devil, and in the end, destroyed. Follow the Lord. Choose him and choose him today. So as we prepare to pray, is any part of this chapter tonight, these scriptures tonight that apply to your life? Maybe something in the past, maybe you didn't know this, maybe you've been eating wrong things. And you want to surrender your life to the Lord and you want to pray like Daniel. That, Lord, I purpose in my heart not to defile myself. Change my life. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change my desires. Change my taste buds. Give me the power to say no. Give me the power to say yes to the right. Maybe it's been over alcohol or some other drug. Or maybe some other area that you're, the temple of the Lord has been being defiled. Maybe by your thoughts, your attitude, other type of evil desires. You want to surrender that to the Lord. And have God's purpose in your mind and heart. Unforgiveness, bitterness envy, doubt, whatever other type of sin that defiles us, that comes into our mind or our heart or our body, or other type of actions, what we see, what we view, pornography, or other kind of lusts. Don't let God's temple become defiled. Surrender yourself to the Lord. And let him purify his temple. There were certain kings in Israel who brought in idols and all kinds of things into the temple of God. And then a good king would come along, like Hezekiah, and they'd cleanse out all the stuff. It's time for a cleansing to take place among God's people. Let God cleanse you and purify his temple and rededicate his temple to him. Mind and body, soul and spirit. So if any of those areas apply to you, let us pray and let God do his work. Remove the fears, remove the anxieties, remove all the excuses. By God's grace, follow him. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name for your goodness to us. Thank you for creating us, knowing us, knowing what's best for us, placing on earth those things in abundance for us to partake of, to give us health and strength. Thank you for desiring only good for us, for our benefit. Make us strong in heart and in mind and in thought. Be able to resist temptation, to hear your voice and to receive your spirit. Thank you for calling us your temple and making us your temple. Cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse all the defilement out of us, everything from the past, everything in the present, and fill us with your spirit and live in your temple. And may your Shekinah glory shine from your temple. And may you be seen and heard through us. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.